this is Jack Spillane from the Standard Times, and, and this is All Politics, and I'm here today with uh, a person who I've known for 20 years, uh, Jen Whitesmith. Jennifer Whitesmith, I'm, I'm here with. Jennifer is the new um, head of the national, uh, what's your actual title? The superintendent. Superintendent of the New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park. That's it, yeah. Um, uh, the center of uh, the heart of downtown New Bedford and, and New Bedford's identity, many people uh, would uh, argue. And uh, I'm personally pleased with uh, Jen's appointment because um, you're one of the first, if not the first, superintendent who's a local kid. Well, oh, I, that's absolutely yeah. true, and I, I, I have to say I wear that as a badge of honor. Yeah. Um, I, I am very proud of, um, well, this city, and I'm sure we're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I walked in the, the park. had just been created in 1996. Yeah. And um, in early, mid-1997, I was a, a stay-at-home mom going to school at night at UMass Dartmouth to get my uh, bachelor's degree, and I thought... I was older, I was an older student, and I thought, what am I going to do when I grow up? What do I want to do? And the one thing I knew, the one thing I knew is that I wanted to do it here in New Bedford. And, you know, I had come up through New Bedford High School, and quite frankly, I was the anomaly. A lot of my classmates couldn't wait to get out of here. And I didn't feel that way. Um, and I thought I'd be in tourism somewhere because I, I, I love people and I love selling this place. And so the likely suspects at the time were, you know, the city marketing and tourism department or the whaling museum. And then this national park was created and I thought, wow, what does that mean? And so I showed up on uh, the front steps here at the visitor center and I said, I'd like to come down and do walking tours and, and you'll appreciate this. Lucy Bly said, well, hold on there, honey. You don't just jump into walking <laughs> tours. <laughs> you gotta do a little time at the desk here. I said, I'm, 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 I'm excited to do it. And so I started as a volunteer, um, actually with the city of New Bedford at the time, because the park was not even fully formed. We didn't have a superintendent. Um, fast forward to early 1998, we got our first superintendent, um, a good, good friend and uh, mentor, uh, John Piltzecker, the first superintendent of the park. Jeff. Yeah, of course you do. And uh, he, he asked if we city volunteers wanted to become national park volunteers. And our first question was, well, do we get to wear like a cool shirt or something? And he said, you do, you get, you know. And so I started as a volunteer um, many moons ago. And, uh, and I think, you know, the park was so new and there were just three of us. It was John and, and Mike Caldwell was, was here from Lowell. On a detail, Mike went on to become the regional director of the Northeast region. Uh, John is now at the Statue of Liberty in Ellis Island. Um, and me, it was the three of us. And uh, we built this park uh, pretty much from the ground up. There was really nowhere to go but up. And uh, we created positions. And um, I and many others applied for them. And uh, I was here at that point until about 2008 yeah. when I went over to Providence for a little while. Right. The Providence Monument was... So, uh, Roger Williams National Memorial. Right. And it was uh, just after we had cut the ribbon here at, on the Corson Building. And I sort of looked around and I thought, you know, as much as I love this place and love what we're doing, I, I think I've... I personally, professionally, I felt like I had hit the ceiling a little bit in that, not necessarily moving up and getting promoted, more like we had done a lot of work. And, and I kind of... I was looking for new adventures. I didn't want to go far. I didn't want to go far. I 
I appreciate that people spend their careers traveling the Park Service and moving up and moving around and, and what a wonderful adventure. But again, I my adventure was going to be here yeah. if I could make that happen. And so um, I, I also wanted, I think the place needed new energy, new ideas. And so I took a position at Roger Williams National Memorial in 08 as the site manager and completely undefined. And what it turned out to be was this um, uh, jack of all trades. And I learned a lot there. Yeah. And um, the difference really was that I like to think that here in New Bedford, the National Park is a big fish in a little pond. Providence is interesting in that Roger Williams National Memorial is this little fish in a big pond. And we were really fighting, not fighting, but really working hard during my time there to create an identity for the park and uh, reach out more into the community sure. there. For those of you who don't know, Roger Williams, the founder of Rhode Island. Oh, uh, yeah. Everything's uh, the, called Roger Williams. Bap, in, the in Baptist Rhode minister who uh, was chased out of Boston. and, and, and uh, Was it Boston or Plymouth? I always get confused. No, uh, uh, Boston. Boston. Yes, Jersey. he was in Salem. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, just a real quick about Roger Williams National Memorial. A small site, yeah. uh, not to be confused with the park and zoo, Roger yeah. Williams Park and Zoo. The small site is at the base of Smith Hill. And I would argue um, one of the most relevant and the biggest stories right now in the National Park Service. When you think about individual rights and separation of church and state and separation of powers and women's rights and Native Americans' oh, yeah. rights, that's what Roger Williams was talking about yeah. in 1636. Yeah. So we had a good time. Uh, now, is that still under your domain? Or? So, so it's been complicated, but the quick version is um, fast forward to 2014. A new superintendent, Megan Kish, came to New Bedford from California. Uh, she was to be the superintendent over New Bedford and Roger Williams. They were going to bring them together under this one superintendent. Uh, six months later, a new park was created in the Blackstone River Valley. Uh, and sure. they said, so, Megan, why don't you take this one, too? Yeah. And she looked around and said, uh, I've got some really wonderful people that work at these three sites. Let's, let's create this three park model okay and so Megan worked really hard um, over her four years here to to pull together these three parks uh, create a shared resource structure shared staff that kind of thing yeah. um, pulled me in as as her management assistant I think she looked around and said she knows a little bit about yeah. these places and would be valuable I appreciated that nod if you will and and uh, nod of confidence in me and uh, we, we built a really great team and a great three-part model over the last four years. Um, Megan left a year ago in uh, 2018 to take another position in, with the Park Service in Arizona. And I stepped into the acting interim role over the three parks. And during that period, uh, we, we did an assessment yeah. whether that was the right way to continue. And um, the regional directorate said, we don't think so. Yeah. And we think that the parks are in a good place where we can now pull them apart. Okay. And so I am now the permanent superintendent, I say that incredibly proudly, right. of New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park. Uh, Blackstone and Roger Williams are still together, and uh, the search for our new permanent superintendent for those sites is, is uh, underway. Alright. So back to New Bedford. Yes. Um, 1996. Yeah. We're now 23 years later. Yeah. How has New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park changed in that time? 
It's interesting. I, I mean, when I look around, and I'm looking right now out, out, out these windows at this beautiful view, maybe Jack will show it to you before we finish, but um, physically it hasn't changed a lot, and that's, that's our job, right, is to preserve and uh, protect the historic resources. So the fact that it hasn't changed a lot in terms of the landscape is, is, a, is a great thing. Uh, that said, it, it, it's, it's an incredibly dynamic community, and um, I think that we, uh, we are very collaborative. I, I remember in the early days of the park, it was, you know, the Whaling Museum and the Roach-Jones Stuffhouse and Garden Museum and the Port Society managing the, the Siemens Bethel and the Mariner's Home. Um, and we were all doing great work, but we were doing it separately. And so I like to think that the park came in and sort of brought everybody together under this umbrella of collaboration and partnership. I don't like to say that we were we rode in on the white horse and we fixed everything. That's not what I'm trying to say. I just um, this park was born into partnerships. It was one of the first. Lowell was really one of the first, if not the first, certainly in the Northeast region, urban partnership parks. Uh, New Bedford followed that model. We were born into partnerships and collaboration. It's all we knew. It's all we knew how to operate and work. Um, and I think we've. We've built on that. For those of you who might not know, the, the New Bedford Park has all these historical buildings. People who are from the city know this, but the park is right in the businesses. So it's all mixed together. And um, to me, the heart of the National Park has always been the wonderful tours yeah. that you give when you walk people around mm -hmm. and show them the significant points of mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, the whaling industry mm -hmm. and um, the history. Can you talk a little bit oh, about that? Oh, absolutely. So yeah, just to um, make sure folks understand, uh, federal ownership is minimal. We only own the visitor center, which many of you will know as the uh, downtown, the historic branch of the New Bedford Institution for Savings. Uh, in uh, 2008, we opened the Corson Building as an education center. Those are the only two buildings we own as the National Park Service. Everything else in the park, which is a 34-acre, 13-block local historic district, uh, is privately owned, owned by the city, um, and we work, again, in partnership with the property owners, uh, the nonprofit organizations, the other government entities. Um, we have, uh, I could talk about the staff and what we're doing all day long, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. What are, what are some of the, the um, uh the big points uh, on the tour. Yeah. yeah so primarily we're talking 19th century whaling. Yeah. And when you say that to people, they go, oh, you know, I love whales. Well, we love whales too. Yeah. So we're not necessarily, we certainly talk about what it was like aboard whale ships and what that culture was like. And there's certainly an economic piece with that that we talk about. There's certainly a, a global reach that we talk about. I mean, th these whalemen were some of the early explorers, some of the early map makers. Um, and so we certainly talk about that, but what we mostly focus on here at the park is the shoreside piece, the shoreside industries, the Coopers, um, the Cask, uh, the, they're the Coopers, you know, all the folks that outfitted these whale ships, where were those places? And the, the challenge is those places aren't here anymore. So it takes a real, uh, a real interpreter, a, a super talented person to stand before a group of folks who maybe don't know the history and really create the picture, yeah. right? And, 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 and make you feel like you're standing in this bustling 19th century yeah. seaport. I think the, um, 
signboards that you, I think about 10 years ago, maybe yeah. a little bit longer, yeah. that you put in have yeah. really helped a lot oh, yeah. to, to sort of uh, help people re uh, reimagine that time. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you saying that. That was one of our early and, and really important projects. Um, the visitor center is only open nine to five. Yeah. We are open late on like aha nights and in the summer some nights, but um, but people come 24-7 to the city. They're wandering around. And so we have a network of, I think it's over 40, 30-ish, uh, what we call interpretive panels. And they are throughout the downtown, Signboards. right? Signboards, <laughs> interpretive panels. Um, and yeah, they help us tell the story when maybe you don't have a park ranger or a volunteer to, to lead you and guide mm -hmm. you. Um, we also talk about the Underground Railroad, uh, completely integrated into the whaling story. New Bedford was a, uh, 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 an end point, if you will, of the right. Underground Railroad. Uh, we had a very large, one of the largest in, in the country, uh, free black populations here. Yeah. Many of them whalers. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, whaling, I love to say that a whale ship was the great equalizer. You showed up, you wanted to work, they didn't care what color you were. Now, I'm not saying there wasn't a hierarchy, and I'm not going to say that there weren't, there wasn't racism. Sure and classism and all those things that unfortunately still exist in our world today, but uh, you could find work here and you could uh, feel safe here. I think that was that's the most important thing. There was a community of people here, um, free blacks and Quakers and others, who ensured that this remained a, a free and open community for these folks to be here. And I, that's an aspect of the history that I'm just incredibly proud yeah. of. With the, um the Whaling Museum putting out the Park Coffee Park uh, yeah. and the plans for the Frederick Douglass Park up the hill. It just seems like there's more and more things oh, yeah. for you guys to uh, show people and interpret. And and I and, and I have a personal, uh, it's like a personal goal. I came up through this school system here in New Bedford. Um, we were we were forced to read Moby Dick in tenth grade, which I think is a travesty. <laughs> you know, you're 15 years old. How do you get through that? Um, I didn't realize that Moby Dick opens up here in New Bedford. I read the book, I got through it, I probably passed the test or not, but my point is, is what a travesty to get out of New Bedford High School and not realize that the first 13 chapters of this great American novel took place right here. Same with Frederick Douglass. I didn't know until I started working here at the park. I was 33 years old that Frederick Douglass's first free home was here in New Bedford. So personally, it's my goal to make sure as many people know that as possible, particularly those who are from here. You know, that sense of pride. It seems like it's important to know who we are oh. as a people and and that we come from these noble roots and and, yeah. and this history. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm not alone with this goal. I work with an incredible team of people here who are just so passionate and smart and invested and uh, want to make sure that we're, we're, we're working to instill this pride in, in our local community and, and helping the folks who come in from the outside really understand this great important American story. Over the past 23 years, um, the National Park has really become one of the key players in um, I, I would call, for lack of a better word, the economic development of the tourism industry in downtown New Bedford. So it's not just, oh, 
the, the park is here isn't that nice it's 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 the park mm. the whaling museum mm. uh, yeah. the different organizations um uh how do how, 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 how people who work here uh feel about new bedford in their role yeah um i I like to think that we are part of that economic engine here. Yeah. We don't charge people, per se, to walk in the door or take yeah. a tour. But we are part of this large network across the country and, and in territories, as you know, 419 National Park Service units now. We are one of those. People love the National Park Service. They love the park system. Uh, there are people that retire, and this is my goal, and they drive around the country and visit parks. Those people are spending dollars in our restaurants, uh, admission to our museums, uh, and and so yes, there's a there's a ripple effect. Another one of my goals is that everybody in this city—I don't care if you're a resident, a business, a nonprofit, museum—is. Using the tagline, you know, home of New Bedford Whaling National Historical Park. Uh, that's, I'd like to think it's some cachet. It's uh, 419 parks in this country, and we have one here. Um, I think that's an incredibly important thing to remember and uh, for folks to take advantage of. Tap into that. Absolutely. You know? So now you're here, the, the first local gal to, to be superintendent. Um, what can we expect the next next uh, uh, what's what's next for the national park? What, what uh, sort of uh, issues are you working on? Or, yeah. or what's what's your agenda? Uh, community engagement, community engagement, community engagement. Um, we uh, really are looking to just ramp up our our role here um, and reconnect. There's a lot of uh, there's been change in leadership here in the city in terms of the nonprofits. There's a fairly new director at the Whaling Museum. Uh, I just met uh, with Don Salerno, the fairly new director at the Roach Jones Duff House. Um, there are a lot of new people around, a lot of new energy. There's a, a, a and I'm, it's not new, Jack, and you know this, there is this emerging uh, internationally recognized art scene here in New Bedford. Um, one of the things that we get to talk about is the culture of whaling and one of the aspects of the culture of the 19th century here in New Bedford was art. We had so much money coming into the city that folks like the Arnolds, the Roaches, the Rodmans, they were art patrons of a level that we would say the Rockefellers were at. Um, the only reason that Audubon came through to sell his elephant folios of the Birds of America because he knew there was money here. Uh, we want to engage, better engage with this art community here. There's, we shouldn't be the only ones telling the story by guiding people around. Let's engage with the art community and have artists tell the story of whaling and the Underground Railroad and slavery and the economics. We don't have to tell the whole story. And there's a long history oh. of a vibrant um, arts community oh, in yeah. New, New Bedford. And there's some real funky stuff going on here right now. I mean, AHA is really the centerpiece of it, and, and the Arts and Culture Night every month. But we're a lot more than that now. Um, we have DATMA, uh, Design Art Technology uh, is of Massachusetts is here. They're proposing a huge uh, public art installation for this summer. Um, at Custom House Square. Um, 
there's, you know, the mills on either side of the park. Maybe not in the park, but gosh, the stuff that's going on down at Kilburn right now and, and Hatch Studios and uh, we want to connect with those folks. And so that's part of the next couple of years is, is trying to figure out how to partner with, empower, collaborate with other circles of folks that maybe we haven't been engaging yeah. with. How, how does that work? Um, because you do have a mission as a whaling, the whaling in, industry. Yeah. But you know the the artists, the the textile industry, the uh, the glass industry, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. the um, abolition yeah. movement in New Bedford. How, yeah. how does does all that um, connect? No, it's a great question. Uh, each park has enabling legislation mm -hmm. that creates it. Yeah. From that enabling legislation, um, through planning processes, the parks create interpretive themes. The interpretive themes can go both ways. They allow us to do things, like if, if someone proposes an idea, we have this lens that we, we think about this idea through. Does it support one or more of these themes? Does it support our enabling legislation? So it allows us to both say, that's awesome, let's, let's do it, or wow, that's way out there, that's not us. Um, I, I've, I'd like to say I've done pretty well in my career by, by being a risk taker, by pushing the envelope a little bit. Me too. <laughs> That's why you and I really like each other. Um, I know what the themes are, I know what the parameters are, and I just sort of go like this. And even better than that, the team is on board with that. And they're also risk takers and folks who want to be creative. And so, uh, I don't even know at this point if one of our interpretive themes speaks to community, but come on, look out the window, that's what we are. We are, as you said it, we are embedded in this community. Yeah. So anything we do that supports what's going out on out in the community, or that community is asking for, we should respond to that. Before we wrap up, I, I feel like I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, just touch on your own personal journey. And not that I want to make a bigger no. deal out of that, but it's also an inspiration to many people and was um, uh, when you were going mm. through it. Can you, can you talk just a little yeah, bit about that? Yeah, I just got that? goosebumps. Yeah, uh, yeah so um, first of all, I'm, I'm feeling great. and uh, uh, I So I was diagnosed with leukemia, acute myeloid leukemia, in August of 2017. As these things are, it was complete shock. Yeah. You're going through your life. You might not be feeling great, but you can... This is my, my point for folks is, uh, you know, if you can't explain away something legitimately, go get it checked. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so that's my message. Um, I put off my regular blood work by a couple of months. I felt guilty about that for a little while. Um, I had some things going on that I, oh, I'm tired, I'm working a lot. And the diagnosis came in August and uh, uh, I, uh, I embarked on a, a battle. I don't even use the word journey. I call it a battle. And the interesting thing, and I'll, I'll, I'll say this, and I don't usually say it, I've, I've had cancer myself. Oh I my had gosh. prostate cancer oh, uh, Jack. Uh, seven years ago, and people are different. And I had a very, you know, I did, I, I, I'm great now. I'm, 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 uh, I'm my, my doctor doesn't, is a little cancer free, but I'm, I'm good and I'm feeling good. well. But um, it was a very private yeah. thing for me. Yeah, In fact, I don't think I've ever talked about it oh, uh, before. Uh, thank you. But your journey was very public. You documented everything from your visits to the hospital yeah. to your uh, that was really treatment. Um, I, I was very much in 
admiration of you because you. when you're going through something like that, you don't know how it's going to go. No. And so to, to be so open, what, yeah. how, how are you able to do that? It was, so in the beginning, um, it was 100% self-serving. I'm mm. going to be honest. I, I just, I, I, I needed to get it out. And I did, you're right, from, from minutes, with, within minutes of my diagnosis, um, I, I was very public on my Facebook page about what was going on. It very quickly turned from self-serving to really a hope that it would be inspirational and educational for somebody. I figured if one person was reading this stuff and went to the doctor to check on something they weren't sure about, reached out to somebody else that they knew that was sick, I, I thought that's a win. And it really, it, it, I, I just feel like we created such a community. And I, I could not have, I might have gone into remission anyway, because it turns out a lot of that stuff with this anyway is um, genetic, so it's a crapshoot. But I don't think I would be as complete and whole and, um, I don't know what the other word is, as I am right now, if I hadn't, had that community behind me and, and under me and with me. Yeah. Um, this city is um, incredible. Yeah. The people are incredible. Um, I had strangers reach out to me. I had strangers leaving food on my porch. I had friends from grammar school from across the country reach out and just offer support. Um, my family and I are just incredibly grateful. Yeah. And I Does it color your attitude toward life? And, oh. and being in this position yeah. after after that, it does. It oh. does. Um, I have to be. I'll be honest with you. Um, pretty quickly after diagnosis and, and really learning how serious this this illness is, um, I thought I'm not. If I make it out of this, I'm not going back to work. If I make it out of this, I'm not. I'm gonna just go live my life. I'm gonna hang with my dogs and my husband and my grown kids and my grandkids and we're gonna travel and I. And it was really interesting. And then I got to a point in my illness where um, we did some genetic testing and it came back that it was likely that I was going to beat this. And I, I'm, it's, I then, as I was undergoing pretty intensive chemotherapy and I had this, this knowledge that there was a good chance and the odds were increasing that because of my genetics I would be okay and I'd go into remission and more importantly stay in remission. And they know that stuff now. Um, I applied for, it was really interesting and I'll make it quick, um, I was a management assistant over these three parks with Megan, the superintendent. That's a sort of innocuous, nebulous position, catch-all. What we really wanted was a deputy superintendent position, gave it a little more authority, a little more there, there. We had put out um, a request to fill that position a year before I was diagnosed and it was just taking a while to get the permission to fill it from Washington. Um, halfway through my treatment, Megan called me and she said, so we've got approved to fill the deputy position. What do you want to do? I could fly it, we could wait, we could, and I said, you know what, you fly that. You fly it, I'm applying. Right. <laughs> and I literally was sitting in my hospital room in Rhode Island Hospital when my oncologist came in and I had my laptop and I got this crazy stuff going yeah. into and through my body and I'm like dee, 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 I'm doing my <laughs> resume I'm doing the application <laughs> and I thought if I'm gonna be given this um, reprieve mm -hmm. in life I'm gonna take it grab it and run with it and uh, 
So I came back to work uh, a year ago after getting the green light. Uh, it was the end of February, and uh, within a couple weeks, I was named the deputy. And then six weeks after that, the interim superintendent. <laughs> and it was perfect. It was perfect, because I didn't get to sit around and worry and dwell on what had just happened. I to it forced me to just look forward, and, uh, and I still do that. That's what I'm doing. So there you go, a personal journey of, of Jennifer Smith, uh, the new <laughs> superintendent of the, the Wedding National Historical Park. Uh, as I said, she's the first local homegrown superintendent. She knows New Bedford uh, better than, as, as well as anybody in town. Um, we're lucky to have her. I appreciate it. Yeah. And you can do it. Whatever it is you want to do, don't doubt that.